0: for me fashion is a verb so it's to fashion
1: you're listening to wardrobe crisis with claire press join me every week as we look at sustainability ethics and the business and madness of fashion hello again how are you all doing what have you been up to I feel like I've been in Zoom land and webinar land pretty much for the last several months. But some good things come out of this stuff. This week's episode is a case in point. It's based on a webinar that I was part of with ZDHC, the Zero Discharge of Hazardous Chemicals Foundation. And it's all about chemistry. I know, not your average fashion topic, you might think. But hopefully, once you've listened to this, you might change your mind. But anyway, have you been getting into all the webinars and community calls? because I'm loving how easily we can connect with people all around the world, especially during these crazy lockdown times, which never seem to end, I've got to say. I really miss travel. I need to travel. The last time I broached the subject of chemicals on this podcast, I travelled to Hamburg to interview the activist Kirsten Broder, who led the Greenpeace Detox My Fashion campaign to get the fashion industry to stop using toxic chemicals in the production of textiles. So, I thought I'd share with you a little snippet from that interview. You can listen to the whole thing on episode 95, and we will put a link in the notes here. But here's
2: Kirsten revealing the shocking truth from a decade ago. When we really started the campaign, I would say the use and release of hazardous chemicals was a black spot for the industry. So, it was clear that major brands had no idea what kind of hazardous substances were being used in their supply chains and they were hiding their toxic trail to some extent and the problem beside the colours of the rivers were, the problem was invisible to the public I would say. So in fact it
1: was almost, I'm not saying better, but at least when it was coloured you could say here is the problem but in fact a lot of these terrible chemical runoffs and pollutions, uh, you can't see it. And we can't see it when we're on the other side of the world.
2: Yes, it was easy to hide this toxic trail. And I think one of the major achievements uh, of the Detox Man fashion campaign was really to make this problem visible to the outside mm. work and companies could not shy away any longer.
1: Okay, talk us through the Greenpeace Detox campaign because this was like the moment that centred the issue for fashion starting in 2011. At that time, what kinds of chemicals were used in the fashion industry and to what extent?
2: So when we started the campaign... Um, We focused on 12 major chemical groups as a priority for elimination. And among them, there were heavy metals like chromium used in tanning processes of leather, phthalates used as softeners, alkyl phenols used for washing and cleaning processes and PFCs. Perfluorinated chemicals to make clothing water and stain resistant. And they all have different sinister effects in the environment. They were persistent, not breaking down in the environment, they are bioaccumulating in organisms, they were toxic.
1: Okay, so things have improved. The Greenpeace campaign did succeed in making fashion take action. Initially, six brands got behind the formation of the ZDHC in 2011 with the aim of removing hazardous chemicals from apparel and footwear supply chains by 2020. It's called Roadmap to Zero. And now there's a bunch more. Contributor signatory brands include ASOS, Adidas, Nike, Caring, LVMH, Burberry, Inditex, Gap. I'm missing out a lot. There's a lot of them. PVH, Marks and Spencers, you know, loads. But also, importantly, textile manufacturers and chemical suppliers. Interestingly, Greenpeace has paused Detox My Fashion campaign as of this year. And Kirsten herself says that there is a new dynamic in the way that brands are dealing with chemicals. The fashion industry is obviously enormous and there's still loads of players who need to take action. One of the big ZDHC tools is its manufacturing restricted substances list. It's called MRSL. There are a lot of acronyms in this area and you're going to hear us use that term. Now, previously, brands would typically manage their product safety with an RSL, a restricted substance list. So what they did was focus in ensuring that nothing dodgy ends up in the finished product, right? Right. But looking only at RSL compliance can mean that hazardous chemicals could potentially have been used further back somewhere in the manufacturing process. So this MRSL addresses the whole supply chain much better. The ZDHD Foundation is based in Amsterdam and it works to globally keep hazardous chemicals out of water, air and away from workers, which is so important, right? They provide things like chemical management training and wastewater guidelines, but they also want consumers to engage with all this. Chemistry in fashion is just still not a hot topic, right? Most people, I think, have no idea about chemical use in clothing production. On the panel, I join ZDHC's executive director, Frank Mischel, and Roger Williams, who directed the 2016 documentary, River Blue. Have you seen it? It tells the story of waterways around the world polluted by toxic fashion. There's some amazing people in it too, including the denim legend, Francois Gibeau. Now, I pick him out because we're actually going to hear from him next week. Exciting. I interviewed him ages ago in LA and I've been waiting for the right time to share it and this just struck me. I was like, I've got this crazy interview with Francois Gibeau. It's awesome. He's a legend. And so look out for that one next week. Anyway, now... Have a listen to this from the River Blue film.
2: The wars of the future will not be fought about oil. The wars of the future is going to be fought about water.
0: We have a very small amount of water, and that's got to accommodate the needs that humans have for drinking water, and a lot of that water is not accessible.
1: We are committing hydrocide. We are deliberately murdering our rivers.
0: Our
3: rivers across the world. were are being deeply impacted by the dumping of poisonous toxic material. Every single piece of clothing that you buy comes with a
0: cost. The fabric dyes used contain hazardous materials, things like mercury, cadmium, and lead. These
3: kind of chemicals, they don't break down and they travel around the world. This water is so toxic, there is no aquatic life.
2: If you see how people are living there, they have lost their sensory adaptation. They can't smell anymore. They do have problems with drinking water supply. There's a high incidence of liver cancers. If we continues like this, it's done. It's done.
1: OK, so fashion has improved on chemical pollution, as we've heard. But there is still work to do. This episode challenges us to get better acquainted with chemistry. Frank wants to help you. He's co-written a free e-book. It's called Detoxing the Fashion Industry for Dummies. You can download it from roadmaptozero.com and we'll share a link in the show description. So this is why he says we need it.
3: I'm working in this field for five years now and starting the foundation in 2015, nobody understood the concept of input chemistry, this MRSL. And we didn't even know how to implement it on the factory level. However, during that journey, I experienced that even if you name the word chemistry, it freaks people out in general. So when you look into the professional world, it just goes to the subject matter experts. No sustainability person likes to be associated with chemistry. And um, consumers, it, it freaks out. They are concerned that all chemistry is toxic in fashion. So it's closely associated to toxicity. And it's simply not true, because people tend to think in boxes about good chemistry and bad chemistry, and the fact is, chemistry just is.
1: All right, this is how he explains it in the book. It's worth pointing out, he writes, a simple truth about chemicals. They are everywhere, in everything. All things, all creatures, all people are made of chemicals. The water you drink is dihydrogen monoxide. The sugar you add to your tea is a very specific chemical formulation of carbon, hydrogen and oxygen. Many chemicals, in other words, are natural. Yet, some people use the word chemical as if it's synonymous with toxic. That is wrong, he says. What matters is context, how and where chemicals occur and how they're used.
3: When we talk about the detox emission, so when you take a detox as a person, you do take care of the food that you take in your body. And if you're detoxing the fashion industry, and I think this is the mind shift, um, you're really looking into the supply chain. You're looking into production steps and you are looking into the process chemistry.
1: Before joining ZDHC, Frank designed a free consumer app to reveal the hidden chemicals in personal care products. It was called ToxFox, and it focused on identifying endocrine or hormone disruptors. Fashion needs a different strategy, though
3: in the cosmetic industry and you mentioned the app that I developed um, that it was called ToxFox for outlining the endocrine disruptors so that was good luck that we had that the cosmetic industry mandatory has to write the ingredients on the product packaging and it was at that point a, a crowdsourced data where people would capture the data manually that was written on the packaging which is not really an option for the fashion industry ZDHC does have a sustainable chemical management framework based on controlling process input chemistry for the fashion industry. So we developed in 2015 a manufacturing restricted substance list, and those lists contain compounds that are banned from intentional use. So by looking at the input concept, so really avoiding that these chemicals enter into the value chain rather than looking at the final product. And of course, with that process, we avoid that they will be released in wastewater or air emissions or even end up in the soil. I think in general, I can say uh, that due to the regulation in the Western world, in particular the target markets, people don't have to worry about hazardous ingredients in their products. However, if you're a conscious buyer, you want to look that the brand you're buying from is engaging in the supply chain. The starting point is where it gets interesting. So you have to educate the designers. So the designer is where it starts and where the impact is being made. And one of the barriers is when we have um, products that are just in their portfolio for years, and this like a standard T-shirt in in red. And um, you realize this red that uh, was designed around 10, 15 years ago is a, uh, a lot more harmful than an alternative. That's a slight
1: okay. yeah. Uh,
3: different, you know, yeah. So this sort of stops brands to, um, to change it because they're worried about consumer acceptance. That's one of the learnings we had from, uh, from pilots. Yeah. And then also the designers to really make the right choice at the, at the very beginning, on top of that, if you are running the production process, you have to engage your supply chain. If you are, if you're just controlling the materials that you're using, that's really falling short. You have to be on the, on the supply chain and you have to interact with your suppliers and your sub
1: Can we talk about how it works in practice? Because I understand that an RSL is a restricted substance list, but who checks that? Who polices it?
3: So first of all, it's policed by the brand. So they give these requirements to their suppliers and um, suppliers do procure their chemistry based on the MRSL. Chemical suppliers do declare products conforming to the MRSL, which can be found in In our online platform, we have such a, like an Amazon of all textile and leather chemistry with more than 35,000 products. Um, And this platform is called Gateway. I think it's a continuous improvement that we're seeing okay. and uh, it's also a moving goalpost. We're discovering more compounds in there which we do not uh, find desirable in our products. And it's also a question about innovations. So the more demand for sustainable chemistry is appearing, the um, yeah, more the readiness of the chemical industry appears to uh, invest into safer alternatives and innovations.
1: I asked you who polices them and you said, well, the brands have to police them. So how can we be sure that they're doing a good enough job? We often hear that thing around marking your own homework. I mean, where is the stick, if you like, to the carrot? Where's the teeth to make sure this happens? Is that you?
3: Well, we have a a leader programme. all our key stakeholders, Uh, we started with the brand leader program, and um, they will be assessed by KPMG, so it's a third party, and they're assessing their implementation efforts. And they are uh, researching or looking into the uh, requirements that they give to their suppliers in terms of the usage of input chemistry. And we also verify this by looking at their chemical inventory lists. So brands are actually verifying um, the chemical inventory of manufacturing facilities and check if they are compliant and in line with, with our MRSL.
1: The Roadmap to Zero's timeframe ends in 2020. So to what extent have you succeeded?
3: Now that is a very tricky question, Claire. Um, you- it actually ended in uh, 2019. So the commitment of brands towards uh, the Greenpeace organization ended by the end of 2019. And uh, all of them, they created impact reports. And the good news is that their commitment was renewed. And we are now looking beyond 2020, which is really good news for our program. And we have been uh, accelerating and onboarding a lot more brands uh, than just those that originally had a Greenpeace commitment.
1: Greenpeace is saying that things are so much improved that they've stopped the big detox my fashion campaign but it doesn't mean everything is perfect right
3: yeah I think when we are saying and that is in our impact report we say the groundwork for sustainable chemical management is laid and I think that's also what Greenpeace is doing when they're pausing the program, we can say we have an infrastructure, we know now how you can implement an MRI cell in the industry. However, the work that is left to go is still huge. And mm-hmm. uh, Claire, when we're looking at the River Blue movie, we're still in a stage that it is devastating what we see in in production regions. And this is not only down to the work of the textile industry, so in particular the fashion industry. Sometimes the fashion industry is an easy target because they mm-hmm. are facing towards the consumers, but there is a supply chain, we're sharing it with automotives. We have technical textiles and and many, many more that are doing coated fabrics. So in this regard, we need to enhance our scope to neighbour supply chains and to engage those and convince them on the benefits of a manufacturing restricted substance list.
1: I'm sure listeners want to know, what does the kind of big picture look like? The brands that are working with you are cleaning up their act, but what about those who haven't signed up Do we have any idea of what kind of percentage it is? Can you give us more of a picture on what the work is left to do?
3: Yeah, and this is the tricky part, Claire. I mean, you can imagine when you create an impact report, it's relatively easy to look and analyze the work that the brands are doing that are signing up. There are many more brands that are using our MRSL. The MRSL is publicly available, and therefore it's very difficult to see which brand is actually implementing. So we do hear this from suppliers, but we must not forget their um many regional brands so meaning in China or in India and in other regions of the world where brands are just producing for domestic markets and when we look at global supply chains I mean these brands also create impact in the environment so we are engaging those local brands but it's very very difficult for us to say a percentage of the global textile value chain is engaging in the program. We're working with governments as well as development agencies to ensure and to create incentives for um, suppliers really to work with our program. The good news, Claire, is the program itself also has commercial benefits. That might sound weird when you look into a sustainable chemical management framework, but what we learned was that brands... When they come up with their own inquiries or their own requirements on chemistry, they are producing a huge uh, complexity in the supply chain. And suppliers are managing different chemical inventories based on their customer requirements. So brand X has a different set of chemicals to brand Y. And you can imagine if you only have to manage one set of chemistry that is globally accepted, they are saving cost and on top of reducing complexity. So it's actually a win-win
1: Do you think brands are becoming less recalcitrant? I mean, we've heard from Kirsten Broder that to begin with, brands were shamed into this and many of them didn't even know what was going on. Do you think attitudes are changing? Oh,
3: yeah, they are. And uh, I'm very impressed by um, the effort of brands that they are taking to embed this sustainable chemistry in their sustainability portfolio and the passion that we even feel up to uh, the senior management to really solve uh, the challenges that they're facing in their day to day work. However, in the communication it still sort of is, it's little covered in in water programmes or in greenhouse gas as uh, many of those aspects in chemistry uh, translate into air emissions and uh, in water pollution. And the same thing counts also to water efficiency. I mean, the less water you use, the less water gets polluted.
1: This is Roger Williams, director of River Blue, on the story and struggles behind getting this film out. Not everyone was happy, but in the end, forward-thinking brands have been engaging with it.
0: Yeah, you know, I was actually looking at water in a bigger way. I was kind of, I wanted to produce an environmental documentary because uh, I've been a filmmaker for a long time, but I've never done an environmental film until River Blue. So I was looking at water issues. I really wanted the film to be about water. And I was looking at ocean issues and overfishing and all kinds of different things. And uh, what happened is I came across a satellite photo from China and it showed this blue stain coming out of a river. And I just went, well, what's that about? You know, as filmmakers, we're curious, and we want to know more. So as I started doing further research, we found out it was really the gene industry in jintang which happens to now be the capital, you know, of all gene manufacturing around the world right now. So as I dug into it, I went, oh my god, jeans are, you know, that's an iconic thing that almost everybody wears. I wear them almost every day. So I knew that there was uh, a film to be had and to produce. And as I got into it further and further, of course, I read the detox report from Greenpeace and I went, oh, my God, nobody knows about this and we need to kind of shine a light on it. So that's kind of where it started. I knew when we got into it, having been in the broadcast industry for a long time, fashion is really the second biggest advertiser around like it's cars and fashion. And so that's what gets advertised on most uh, broadcast stations. So I knew that they would struggle with picking up a film like this. And that has been absolutely true. But, you know, we're finding other ways to get the film out and and it's working and it's creating awareness. And that's what, you know, the people behind the film, myself and, and I had it financed really by a couple of philanthropists and myself that really wanted to see this done because I knew that there wasn't a distributor or a broadcaster that would put their their name out there and and really want to be a part of this. it actually took three years to produce this film because getting access into countries and into locations, it just took a long time to actually pull all those pieces together. There were some dangerous uh, times and moments, but you know what we all came out of it and we're all proud of the film and it's done uh, it's done really well we had it in i think it was in 80 cities around the world as a theatrical release uh it's gone on it's online and um yeah it's doing okay and it's creating the awareness that we wanted and that was really the big thing some of the fashion industry really doesn't like the film and there's others that have especially with uh, some of the sustainability people of different brands They love it and they try to, you know, promote it and get it in front of their boards and all the rest of that. And it has had a positive effect on the fashion industry. And there are brands that have come out and said, you know what, we got to do better. One of the brands that I was contacted by was Wrangler Jeans. And a couple of guys in their sustainability side said, you know, we're making a lot of our jeans in Bangladesh, but we're finding there's no real, you know, will to work with us to create wastewater treatment plants and all the rest of that. And uh, I said, well, you know, Bangladesh actually has very strict environmental laws, but there's no will to follow them because the people that are in government are also factory owners. So there's kind of a conflict of interest there. So they were asking me, okay, how can we kind of bridge that and get into that and fill that gap? And so I had met an engineer who has a wastewater uh, treatment facility that he was trying to do a pilot project with, and I started connecting people. And that's kind of what I see my role is now, you know, these days is like, I've met so many people and so many people are doing really good works. And how can I help facilitate and connect people so that they can go on and do a better job in the fashion industry. I'm certainly not against the fashion industry whatsoever. I want to see it flourish. But I also want to see it flourish in a more sustainable manner. And I think that's the whole point. I was contacted by a chemical maker actually in New York as well. And after seeing the film, he saw it at a film festival in New York and he called me up a couple of days later and said, you know what, this has really challenged me because I sell chemicals to the fashion industry. And he says, but I'm actually thinking that we can do a better job. And so he challenged his engineers and said, how can we use less chemicals? And that sounds counterintuitive. I said, you know, why are you doing this if you're going to sell less chemicals? And he goes, the fashion industry is huge and it's not going to change overnight and we're still going to be selling chemicals. But if I can help make that process better, then that's a good thing. And they did figure out how to make the chemical adhere to the cotton or the fabric better. It was a negative and a positive charge. And if you have two negatives, it's not going to adhere or, you know, fastened to the cotton and fabric. So they changed the polarity, made one positive, one a negative. Um, All of a sudden, the the dyes adhered to the uh, fabric uh, better. Uh, They started using a lot less water and a lot less chemicals. And so that's a positive from the chemical side of the equation. Uh, Would I like to see no chemicals? Sure, but that's, you know, again, it's baby steps, and we've got to work through this with the industry as well.
1: So there are industry insiders who want to see improvements. What then are the challenges in ramping action up?
3: So when I started, a lot of brands and retailers had their own programs. And acting in good intentions, it was creating a lot of confusion. Because uh, manufacturers have been asked to implement a schema for a uh, brand X. Then you have uh, another schema for brand Y. When we started with ADHD, that the factory owner said, look, Frank, you're just an additional ask. Throughout the month and years, um, we are converging the programs of brands, and uh, they are aligning on ZDHC's uh, implementation framework. This is a result of long, ongoing collaboration processes within the organization, but also the significant amount of trust. I do feel this as a big responsibility on our shoulder, and uh, my challenge here in this regards is uh, one side, the convergence, and the other side is the consumer awareness, Consumer awareness is, is of course, everything is toxic and um, this typical buzzwording in fashion. And when I say buzzwording, we say, now we do circularity. Now we have climate change. Tomorrow we have Mm -hmm. biodiversity. And we all tackle these topics, but without really closing one chapter and saying, okay, that job is done. And when we talk about chemistry, I think it 's closely linked to climate and I mean the biggest impact is in greenhouse gas. When we look at the water programs, if we use less water, great, we definitely produce less wastewater. so this kind of interlinkage of chemistry is um, is a challenge in terms of to be understood, and uh, we are far away from just wanting to get new contributors. Our impact is really. To get an implementation for purpose. And coming back to what I said initially, when factories have different requirements from multiple brands in best intentions, it doesn't help to implement for purpose because they are implementing the program just on customer request. And we make a real mind shift if they implement one program that really shifts the paradigm and that drives them to implement for purpose and cleans up the environment.
1: Could I ask you something Frank? Do you think we may get to a point where there could be some sort of mandatory labeling that really lists ingredients beyond simply the fibers?
3: So yeah, we are we are at the moment looking at the facility performance level, how good does a facility work with chemistry and what chemistry do they use in um, our 2030 goal, we're looking into product performance. So we're literally translating the recipe, uh, the facility performance to um, the product performance, but this is still a long way to go. And um, in terms of chemistry, when you look at process chemistry, not all the chemicals remain in the product. So a bill of substances is slightly more difficult to apply than um, what is really remaining in the product if you just add up the uh, process chemistry. We're working here in blockchain. We're working with UN ECE in, um, in a blockchain pilot, which is adding up the chemistry entry points for uh, cotton. So this is an Egyptian cotton project. So it's a lot of learning that we have here um, in order to, to answer these questions and to give recommendations to consumer. I don't think the answer is a simple label. It's definitely more the trust, the understanding what's going into the product. And again, this implementation for purpose when factories really start cleaning up, um, that helps
0: tremendously to achieve that goal.
3: Uh, But Roger, you wanted to say something.
0: You know, I just to kind of follow up again, uh, I think the consumers really, uh, well, let's put it this way. Governments listen to consumers. So if the consumer is voicing a concern loud enough, governments are going to react and governments don't always react until there's some pressure. So Mm -hmm. I think, again, the consumer has a huge amount of power that they can leverage. And again, I think it's still, we have to do a better job of awareness. There are a lot of people around the world who, uh, you know, they're just trying to get by, just (laughs) survive, especially these days. And so uh, they may not be as aware. Of course, the people that we talk to, there's, you know, there's a great awareness, but uh, there's still a lot of people that we need to uh, help enlighten for sure.
1: One thing I would say is really interesting is that Fashion Revolution, which has done a huge amount of work around transparency and the hashtag Who Made My Clothes, this year they launched the new hashtag, which is What's In My Clothes. So I think that speaks to a growing hunger to really understand what the ingredients are in what we wear.
0: I think consumers do have a right to know how their clothes are made and what's in their clothing. And again, you know, the biggest organ we have is our skin. And if we're putting a bunch of chemicals against it, well, maybe that's not such a good idea. And uh, one of the things that we found in, in the film with River Blue is one of our biggest audiences is young mothers because they're concerned with how they're dressing their children.
1: I was thinking before about what makes us care and that it's easy to say you care about something on the other side of the world that it doesn't impact you directly. Mm-hmm. But when it hits home, when you, you're looking at your loved ones, your children, your family, that's when you start making a noise and I think it's really interesting to see how do we bring it and make it personal? How do we make these issues feel close to us while recognising that it's all connected and that, you know, what we do impacts others too. But I think that's really interesting, isn't it, about you panic, you don't want, who wants to sleep on a pillow drenched in azo dyes? That was something that happened here in Australia with red dyes and was exposed, but how many of those things are not exposed?
3: I think just the, the point, clear is people need to understand the pillow that they're sleeping on might not contain other dyes, but the impact is made on those loved ones that are down the road in the supply chain, so the workers the environment. I think this is the mind shift, and I think that is, as you say, everything is connected, it's interconnected. We are a little bit more than 30 people based in Amsterdam, and let's be realistic, if we are looking at the work that is ahead of us, We do have to depend on um, everybody who is in the countries who has expertise based on which we can really accelerate this implementation. And that's also the message that I'd like to send out. So stay engaged, engage in these areas. Those brands that potentially haven't had this on the radar, it's quite an easy task. We are challenging our brands here in this regards that we have a such-called leader program to drive a joint implementation that's also assessed by third party. And the same we do for factories. Um, so if you engage, you you can understand how good you are. You can see the room for improvement. And more or less, you can change the world. And that's what we're all aiming for.
1: Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. To learn more about our guests and the issues that we've spoken about today, hop on over to my website, which is clairepress.com forward slash podcast. You can get in touch there, and I really hope you will. I'd love to hear from you. And you can also find links to my social media. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and subscribe. You know what they say, first in best dressed subscribers are first to find out when there's a new episode and it also helps other people discover wardrobe crisis so i'd love your help with that because the more people who switch on ethical fashion the better music is by montaigne she recorded this special acoustic version of because i love you which is from her glorious heights album especially for wardrobe crisis how good is that thank you montaigne because
2: i love you my